0: You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Wallner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shah coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news, and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is October 27th. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe.
2: Let's dive into it. Bhavan, how are you? I'm doing great. Like, fall had been great, but unfortunately, we got hit with like a nor'easter this week. So I'm just staying put, Uh, don't (laughs) want to get rained on, and I'm just glad that I didn't lose power. So all good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for those of you in the northeast, uh, we have sort of our first nor'easter, which usually comes with snow. So I'm not, uh, I'm not mad about this nor'easter, other than the <laughs> fact that I, you know, outside is terrible. Um, I, I did not lose power as well, but lost a few uh, lawn chairs and umbrellas. I'll get them later. Just spread <laughs> out across the lawn. <laughs> nice. um,
2: what have you been up to otherwise? Uh, so uh, I know we spoke about like fall being here and going to the white mountains. So I actually like did a one day trip and instead of going to uh, like the most popular area with a lot of traffic, the, 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 the tank Among, Among highway, I guess yes. that's what it's called. I did see like an exit that leads to that highway and like, okay, not going there, but then I ended up doing a hike with a few friends and that was great. Um, although I, I think the day I went there, it might have been like post peak by a couple of days. So then some okay. of these are already eh, gone. Still beautiful yeah still beautiful yes uh next time i i think i need i want to do like that train ride oh yeah It it, it the the pictures look really great there's and a couple I, of them up there yeah so uh maybe next year uh we'll do that but this year we did one hike and then uh this weekend it was it was good like it was not as cold uh yeah. as uh we'll uh we'll be soon getting but uh we did like a 10 11 mile bike ride in the afternoon so that was fun how about you
0: yeah. I, I love that area up there. Honestly, uh, we tried to do the train ride, um, this past spring, obviously not as beautiful in the fall colors, but still a very gorgeous train ride up in the Lincoln area. Um, and it, it turns out that it books really quickly, oh, okay. <laughs> even in the wondering. spring. And I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, expecting it to. And so we put it off actually getting the tickets a little too late. So we didn't get to go, but we'll go probably next spring. Uh, we don't, we don't usually head up there in the fall. I uh, I enjoyed the fall down here. Um, mm-hmm. I've been uh, actually doing a little bit of um, a drone experimenting with some of the fall colors around here. Um, nice. it's something I've sort of dabbled in getting into more and more. I have a couple iterations of like, you know, the tiny helicopters to like the drone probably that I've had six years ago, which was like 1U. Could fly around your backyard and then I got a nicer one, which is one that you actually have to register with the FAA and all this oh, stuff. Yeah. Um, and just getting more into that and found that really targeting sort of some of the lakes and ponds around here with some of the fall colors is is really quite fun. Personally, if, I'm not an actual remote drone
2: pilot, so I can't do anything like sell my photos, but
0: maybe one day, you never know.
2: I think the FAA, <laughs> the agreement that you sign doesn't allow you to like do anything commercial as well. So yeah, you are in the clear. If only you were on Twitter, we would actually get get to see those pictures. But eh. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, unless you get uh, your like part 107 license, then you can actually do commercial stuff with it, which, oh, okay. you know, who knows? Who knows of my future uh, <laughs> and holds. <laughs> no. um, you are freshly back from KubeCon. I know in our last podcast, we discussed sort of the week of KubeCon mm-hmm. that, you know, we'd be talking about this. Uh, so this whole episode is about KubeCon um our personal experiences with it as well as some of the news surrounding it so i think the people want to know Bobin. uh how was kubecon in real
2: life the so, kubecon was really fun again full disclosure this was my first one nice. uh i've always been a, a, a person who 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 liked to go there watched keynotes watched sessions uh once they were posted on youtube but this year i was lucky enough to like actually participate in the show and uh not just like go to the event but also work at like the Portworx booth and have a lot of engaging discussions. Uh, this time, I, I think one key point was uh, it, it, the more focus or more emphasis was on quality rather than quantity. I think we only had 3,300 uh, attendees in person, and that might have been due to like uh, indoor mask mandates, vaccine requirements that they had, and people just not being comfortable traveling right away. But then out of that 3,300, I think close to 2000 were just vendors. So like it was a really good conference if you just wanted to talk to other vendors and and talk about partnerships. But then from a customer perspective, it was a bit sparse. But again, the the level of discussions that you have, uh, I've been going to like VMworlds and Microsoft Ignites and the discussions there and the discussions at KubeCon are completely different and uh, different personas. Obviously, uh there are still operators who are figuring out how can they run kubernetes and what do they do for storage and the enterprise capabilities that they need if they are running containers in kubernetes so those are always great discussions uh but yeah uh, it was a lot of fun and i also participated in like a, a co-located event cloud native data management day it was a day before that was uh, a, a lot of fun too like it was in the grammy museum uh, two blocks away from the convention center uh, personally i think the value of the museum was lost on me because i'm I, I i'm not a big fan of like the types of type of music here so mm-hmm. okay but i'm pretty sure like people who follow the, those uh things uh, might be excited for such a great venue but the the show was good uh we had close to i think 50 people attend uh few were speakers and and vendors at the show, uh, at the event but then we, we had a good number of attendees and uh there was a virtual component which is where all the technical and and uh, customer focused topics or tracks were the the main in person event focused on panels since we had uh, people in uh uh people together at the show uh, it was a great venue for having people from the community uh, the analyst community uh, different vendors like i participated in a panel just talking about data and kubernetes data and storage and we we dove into not just what CSI is and where it's going, but also object storage APIs. Um, I think we had too much input from MinIO and how object storage is kind of the answer and MinIO is the answer for every uh, Kubernetes need, but that that was fun. Uh, but at the end, I think one of the key takeaways from that panel was uh, we as storage vendors or vendors who who, who provide uh, Kubernetes storage need to start focusing on applications, not just talk about plumbing and what CSI Features look like, or what APIs are now available. We need to move to that next level of talking about databases and data services, because that's what developers mean when they are talking about storage. They don't mean a LUN or a file share. They they mean a Postgres database, uh, or or a Kafka deployment. So, uh, it was a cool event. How about you?
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or Mc Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: I I, know. I really like that comment there because, you know, as someone who's attended many uh I say many a handful of KubeCons, because <laughs> there hasn't been that many um, uh, a I can't wait to you experience a full blown kubecon mm-hmm. uh, it is a whole different experience. I did not go to this one, so uh really curious to your input, but some of that um some of that component of not just how things work but I want to use them for something real mm-hmm. uh now, I will say at previous KubeCons, it was a lot about. How did you get this to work? How does it work? How do you provide this, right? Um, so hearing you talk about how, you know, people are really trying to solve real problems, uh, which I think you have a note in here. that We'll talk about more about what mm-hmm. that really uh, uh, means. I, I really like that we're getting there in this community. So lots of exciting stuff there. Uh, and I'm glad to you How was you the virtual
2: KubeCon? I know you were going to like ma- participate in that.
0: Yeah. Um, honestly, virtual conferences are hard. <laughs> uh, I'll put it this way: uh, you know, every virtual conference that I've been a part of these past couple of years, which I think has been three now, um, some internal, some external. Uh, there is minimal interaction, right? <clears throat> and I think part of the reason is a lot of these virtual conference sort of um, platforms they do they try to mimic what you you get out of in person. And the reality is it's, it's very different. So Mm -hmm. mimicking, mimicking, I think is the wrong approach. Uh, People uh, act very different online uh, than they do in person. And that's, that's just the reality of it. And that's fine. Um, But I think we have to design these things in a way that expects that type of interaction instead of trying to mimic the in-person thing. Like um, one of the things was every Booth uh, had the ability to have sessions during a certain times, sort of office hours, and they were all at the same time. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> um, so really being able to target some of your audience, or even if your audience um, was interested in yours, they'd probably have to trade off between yours and someone else's, or choose it the next day, or that kind of thing. Um, and even even then, you know, we had some people in those um, office hours, but uh it was very hard to interact with them again and that's yep. just the nature of virtual conferences and like so- in
2: person when you have those uh theater presentations at your booth you see if you see a lot of people gathered around yeah. you will head towards it but if it's a virtual room you don't know how many people are participating in the other rooms so it's exactly just, yeah not the same
0: and we define engagement differently in at mm-hmm. the booth, right? You just, you get one perfect example. There's a lot of people over there. What's going on, right? I, I yep. want to know. <laughs> um, that's engagement to some aspect. Uh, and then there's online. You can't really mimic that, right? You can see, oh, there's a bunch of people in here. Um, but I think, you know, we have to design it differently. Just like, mm-hmm. you know, people are coming to click on links and get free stuff half the time. Uh, And they can do that easily online rather than, you know, asking (laughs) an awkward question at the booth to get your pen. But um, yeah, anyway, I digress. Uh, It was it was good. I'm not knocking it too hard. I think the community was strong. Still there. Lots of awesome resources uh, Mm. and uh, I had a lot of fun Um, anyway. So. Um, for those listening, we do not have a guest today. It's just Bhavan and I. I hope that's okay. Yep. <laughs> um, but we're really diving into <laughs> CubeCon uh, and some of the major highlights. We'll we'll talk about community highlights as well as some of the vendor highlights and news articles um, that uh, sort of we picked um, in in this community in this sort of data associated community. So some of the highlights. Um, I noticed that there was a lot a lot around security so mm-hmm. um before i dive into security or any of the topics there i think one of the points you just made earlier about people doing real things is we're getting somewhere in the community i believe you wrote down the term here crossing the chasm
2: you know explain that a yeah, little more that was a a very popular theme across different keynote speakers uh across all three days right? And that was a trend that we even saw on the show floor uh, across different vendors trying to pitch their products like it is. It's no longer about uh, just day zero operations like, oh, how can I install Kubernetes? Mm-hmm. Can I use kubeadm? What, what's cops? What are the different tools that are available for just installing Kubernetes on bare metal or virtual machines or in the cloud? It was more about operationalizing it. Uh, so not just about, okay, how do I monitor and the whole observability stack? But as you said, right, security, that was top of mind for everyone, especially with the hacks and ransomware attacks that we have been having in uh, mm-hmm. 2021. That was uh, certainly top of mind. And especially uh, if you're dealing with open source, how do you bring those security and open source together? And uh, there were vendors trying to help out. There were like, even if it was like a, a storage related conversation, there was always the security element, like, okay, how do I encrypt my data? Is it encrypted at rest or in transit? So again, that was a theme that that we saw uh, and not just security and uh, observability, but also right-sizing applications. So if I if people have figured out how to run applications on virtual machines and how to right-size those, but then how do how do you use the same tools or how do you find new tools to help you do that for containers and Kubernetes as well? So how do you make sure that you're not over-provisioning, over-provisioning your Kubernetes clusters, not just from a storage perspective, but also from a CPU and memory perspective and trying to get the biggest bang for your buck. So it was all about, it's not just those early adopters and bleeding and edge uh, organizations. It's now uh, Kubernetes is, has become a thing that's being widely adopted and people are building applications for the future on Kubernetes. So that that was like one key takeaway for me right there.
0: Yeah, there's some really good points there. And I and I think I I, I did talk about the sort of um, bill of materials later on in one of the topics, just because um, associated with the security, I think with real use case comes mm-hmm. with the adoption of how do I secure this thing? Um, and uh, some of some of I know the talks and um, uh, associated with sort of uh, Biden's executive order, which includes that uh, uh, bill of materials is all really, really interesting and, and validating to the same point. So it's really great that, you know, we're getting here as a community. Um, and these are the overarching topics that we're mm-hmm. talking about because it, it means we're succeeding as a, uh, as a community and building real, real things. Um,
2: like personally, the, the software bill of materials part of the keynote on, I think day three, that was a really good one. How they spoke about not just Biden's executive order and how, uh, the, the white house is only going to order from vendors that can present us as bomb, but, mm-hmm. uh, that, that has, uh, uh, an, a a widespread effect, right? So like US FDA, Food and Drugs Administration is also enforcing SBOM requirements. And you will see this not just from public sector, but also private companies now enforcing these requirements. So uh, as part of open source projects, as part of companies that use these open source projects, we'll have to start thinking about SBOM and, and start participating in those communities. 100%.
0: 100% and to your to your point earlier there's been a lot of news when it comes to security flaws I mean I just got a letter yesterday from uh the hospital that uh, my daughter was born in that was like, hey, your your child's information might have been stolen, and oh, I was wow. like, I was, you know, they were like, someone had access to email for six months, and I was like, you know, it it it's kind of sad because at one point I'm like, this is just the way the world is, right? That was mm-hmm. my um, reaction. It was like we gotta we gotta protect ourselves in other ways, but the fact that software and um and the ecosystem, not just around Kubernetes, has gotten to that point where it's just like, eh, it happened again. Um is the wrong attitude. Um yeah. so I think really you know, this this is a, a make or break point. We have to do something about it. This is maybe step one uh and really developing those standards and doing them uh, better is gonna help all of us <laughs> not just in Kubernetes. So maybe let's just try to get it uh get it right from the beginning in Kubernetes. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um Let's dive into some of the community highlights that we uh noted here. So, mm-hmm. why don't you start with the KCNA and move, yep. move on? From there. So, uh
2: again, all of us know that Kubernetes or CNCF has had certifications that you can take uh from the cloud uh, Kubernetes uh, uh certified communities administrator to application developer. They added the security specialist last year and this year they have a more entry level or an associate level certification called Kubernetes and Cloud Native Associate KCNA if i got that right but yeah uh, so th- it, it, they they uh, Priyanka actually introduced it during her keynote on day 1 and she said we are just accepting some beta and trial users uh and the, like the certification will actually be launched in december but then within like 5 minutes all the beta spots i think th- they were like 400 spots were gone so people are really interested in KCNA nice. And uh, obviously that helps us expand the community and bring more people in uh, who who know uh, how, how, what Kubernetes is or what cloud native is. So something we'd like for you to look forward to.
0: Absolutely. And I believe the CKS was announced as well, right? Uh, which is the Certified Kubernetes Security Specialist. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I believe that was announced, that, that exam, at least part of it. Uh, like It could be wrong there, but. Um, I'm pretty sure it is and it's good timing right (laughs) with all the uh, news around security I think uh, these certifications are going to be key for what uh, the community is trying to do uh I definitely wanted to talk about the first edition of the Data on Kubernetes report. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if uh, you're asking, what is that, Ryan, on the podcast, I will include a link to this. But the uh, doc community, which uh, does a great job at really highlighting how um, you know practitioners and users of, of storage and data on Kubernetes are really using the thing, put out this uh, survey for the first time. I think it's, they have 500 executives and technology yep. leaders is how they put it here that use data um, and the factors during uh, the adoption. Um, and so a lot of really cool um, findings here. Some of them surprising, some of them not so surprising, right? One is that data is actually being used on Kubernetes. I think to us, Bob and I, that's not surprising. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're not there yet in your organization, it's just telling you it's here. People are running data workloads on Uh, Kubernetes in production, Um, I think one of their stats was 90% uh, believe it's ready for staple workloads. 90 is pretty good if you ask me, Um, but there are significant challenges that remain. So saying it's ready doesn't mean that, you know, poof, we're solved. (laughs) There's a lot lot of challenges that still remain if you're going to go towards uh, running data on Kubernetes, you know, things around uh, quality of operators to trusted vendors vendors and all those things so definitely go check take a look at that um yeah. lots of good information there
2: like one sure. of the stats that uh caught my eye was uh, they asked people how productive uh how much more productive you are as an organization once you adopted kubernetes like 19% said they they are like twice uh if not more uh productive because of like kubernetes and like 38% were like 50% more productive so this shows that Okay, there might be challenges and troubles and, and a whole migration effort required to adopt yep. Kubernetes and containers. But once you do that, you will start seeing benefits. And there are people and there are organizations that participate in the survey who can vouch for those. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, of course. And it, it also depends on where you're coming from, right? Greenfield, uh, it's going to be a very different response mm-hmm. and answer to some someone who's been running OpenStack for 10 years and <laughs> needs to migrate to uh, Kubernetes or something like that. Um Cool. So uh, I know you touched on Cloud Native Data Management Day. Uh, You and I personally have five talks in in there. So uh, shameless plug to go check (laughs) those out. We'll put those in the link uh, if you want to learn more there. Um, But the panel, you talked briefly about it. Anything else you want to note about Cloud Native Data Management Day? Um, No, I think that's it. Other than the acronym being especially hard for me to talk, (laughs) say today. (laughs) Um, Okay, great. Um, And then the CFP for Cloud Native Con Europe is now
2: open, right? Yes, it is. Like uh, we need to put our thinking caps on and start brainstorming. Like, what can we be? (laughs) Like this time we didn't end up submitting any sessions, but maybe for for the Europe one, or uh, we should start thinking about topics. And again, this goes for everybody in the community, right, listening to this um start thinking and submit your talks. It's in Valencia, Spain. So in Spain in May. That sounds beautiful.
0: Hopefully we can all go. Uh yes. I'm 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 optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> um Great. So uh, I think one of the last things I want to talk about before we move on is uh, Xing Yang uh, has a video about uh, what's coming in Kubernetes storage. I just wanted to highlight she talks about sort of what's in 122 Mm -hmm. versus what's coming out in 123. Uh, I actually personally worked with. Shing at EMC. So, hi, Shing, if you ever listen to this, um, <laughs> great video. I learned a lot. Um, so, uh, definitely go take a look at that. Really talks about some of the features that are GAing um, versus some of the ones that are in beta, and uh, specifically about a lot of the entry drivers um, for a lot of the vendors and clouds like EBS that are um, being deprecated as of 124. So, if you're using storage today in Kubernetes and you're using sort of these entry drivers, you want to pay attention um,
1: and the various other things.
0: Now, let's move on to what the vendors are talking about. Um, I know this is that time of the year. There may be a vendor we care about that (laughs) said something new. I don't know. (laughs) PX backup Portworx backup 2.1 did come out. We have to talk about it. Um mm-hmm. it's our it's part of our pride and joy of our day job. Um really highlighting sort of the data protection uh capabilities around Kubernetes and this version um supports a number of different things. Um this 2.1 version does uh enable file system backups. So mm-hmm. Prior to 2.1, BX Backup could take snapshot backups of CSI, obviously Portworx backups, um, but couldn't really offload the CSI ones. Now, with this 2.1 capability, we can target things like EFS or um, FlashBlade NFS shares or generic um, NFS servers, uh, offload those. And uh, with CSI, we can take snapshots of those and still offload the file system within it. So it really enables you to use BX Backup alone. And um, be able to kind of back up and restore any Kubernetes application, even if you're not using Portworx Enterprise. So there's that. Um, why don't you give us a little bit about um, OpenShift 4.9 came out, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, Red Hat, uh, again, uh, keeping up with your trend, this is their next release. Uh, 4.9 is out. Or uh, Again, they announced it the week of KubeCon. I think officially it comes out, uh, like OpenShift 4.9 comes out end of this month. And then the second announcement they had was around advanced cluster management or ACM, which is their management portal. Uh, 2.4 for that version, uh, 2.4 version for that product is coming out next month. Uh, One of the key things that I found with Red Hat OpenShift is like in addition to obviously Kubernetes 1.22 support is the ability to deploy single node OpenShift clusters. And this is especially beneficial for those edge scenarios where you don't have as many nodes, you don't have as many servers, you might not even have uh, like 100% uptime bandwidth or, or connection to that remote site. So this allows you as an administrator to deploy these single node edge locations, which act as both the control plane and like master and the worker. Uh, and you can run your applications. If you lose connectivity, OpenShift will continue doing its thing. And once connectivity is restored, uh, you'll be able to connect back. So this is just the third way you can deploy these edge clusters in addition to like doing three node clusters and then having a control plane and and remote worker nodes at that edge location. So that was cool. And then for advanced cluster management, uh, uh, they are tech previewing something called a zero touch provisioning. So instead of uh, having a a person go to that remote location, power on and like maybe insert a flash drive and like do any any kind of uh, physical uh, interaction with the system, uh, ACM now supports uh, zero test provisioning using like your remote power on operation, remote provisioning. Uh, it it will boot over the network. It will download all the necessary configuration and install, and then finally report back to you saying that okay, I'm up and running, and now I can run your your application. So that's in tech preview. That's a cool feature I want to check out once once it's out. But yeah, that that's for Red Ad, uh OpenShift and advanced cluster management.
0: Yeah, these um these edge use cases are really going to be something inter- interesting to watch. I know. Um, you know, we're keeping an eye on them pretty closely. One of the things I like is that even, even in this single node deployment, um, it can actually lose connectivity that single node and then eventually come back online, which is a big thing with, you know, edge being able to sync back up to the core and everything really cool stuff. I, I personally want to play with it. Um, and, uh, I, you know, coming from someone who's installed OpenShift three and four all by all by hand and using installers, I would love just like this single node on uh, somewhere in my office or something like that to play around with. So very fun news there. Um, the other big one, uh, NetApp Astra Data Store, or I've been calling it ADS, but I haven't I haven't heard anyone actually call it ADS. Uh, uh
2: we can just use ads and <laughs> see if anybody shouts at us <laughs> um
0: i know you've done a little bit of research there uh how uh how can you explain astro data store
2: to the masses so astro data store is an interesting evolution of uh like just software defined storage from netapp again uh it, it is in early access so maybe in the next year at KubeCon on you you'll see it being generally available but it Uh, brings down uh, like breaks down the the complexity loop from you needing the Trident, which was your CSI plugin to connect to a backend on tap system. Now uh, you can run your software defined storage system on your Kubernetes cluster itself and use that to provide file services. So uh, I think one of the main focuses that NetApp had in their blog post and in the CRN article was how there are applications who Need file services. You might have different stages of application which are writing data to a specific shared file system, and then when the next iteration or the next uh, the pr- uh, promoted app comes online, they might need access to the same data. So they obviously justify the need for having file services that are running natively in Kubernetes. So this is just NetApp's take on how you can leverage NetApp aster Data Store or ADS for for uh, for uh, file services on Kubernetes. Right. Nice. Nice. uh, Just one thing to add, I think it it, it can run on 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 prem right now, uh, based on their documentation, bare metal or virtual machines. And they have some uh, sort of like drive and node and rack level fault tolerance. And it will integrate with your Astra control service uh, for Kubernetes backup and restore operations. But yeah, I think that closes it up for me. (laughs)
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's super interesting, you know, coming from such a uh, storage giant like NetApp and really kind of catering to this uh, container native or Kubernetes world. Um, really interesting developments there. Um, another one worth mentioning, it did come out, I believe, like a week or two beforehand, mm-hmm. but Kasten did uh, release their for, uh, sorry, 10 Oh no, 4.5. No, 4.5, 5. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Your 4.5. product is called K10.
2: So I, I <laughs> see. There,
0: <Yeah>. Too many <laughs> numbers. Um, 4.5.1. Uh, lots of cool stuff in there, uh, such as some of the Grafana integrations, new Grafana dashboards. Everybody loves Grafana. Uh, I know mm-hmm. I do. Um, immutable backups are default, some of the ransomware stuff, but, you know, along those lines of security, definitely worth noting. Uh, some of the support for um, K8S Sandra. I how do you how would you say that?
2: I'm just saying it Cassandra. I, I might like Kate. just say like datastax Cassandra. Some people know what I mean, but yeah, it's difficult yeah. to say Kate Sandra.
0: <laughs> I think I'm going to say Kate Sandra. Kate Sandra.
2: Okay. okay. Let's do that. <laughs> Kate Sandra.
0: <laughs> right. Like Cassandra. I don't know. Yeah, that's where I'm going. Um, <laughs> anyway, it, it's an operator version of Cassandra, uh, Datastax, Cassandra. Um, so they they support that directly, I think, in mm-hmm. Kafka and maybe one other one. Oh, RDS yeah. as well. Uh, a bunch of bug, bug fixes. So definitely cool stuff from them. Go check that out. Um, yeah, like
2: one, one interesting thing, like there was an interesting session from Datastacks at KubeCon on how they moved or why they moved from a Helm-based deployment to a Kubernetes operator for Cassandra deployment. So again, if you're looking for session suggestions, here is one. <laughs> Got it.
0: Yeah. And some of the, I think there, they did have some support for uh, k 3 and EKS Anywhere. So some of the edge stuff relating back to your uh, edge discussion before, is there, is there anyone, uh, is there any link that you want to uh, talk about that we have in this document? I mean, just so readers know we're, we have notes, obviously mm-hmm. uh, we don't just remember all this stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> I know we're about, um, uh, pretty far in the episode. So any other ones that we have here that you want to dig in for the listeners?
2: Yeah, we can do a, a, a a rapid fire round, right? Like I have a few more that I wanted to highlight. Uh, Google cloud next was the same week as KubeCon. So it might not be a KubeCon announcement, but Google announced, uh, Anthos for virtual machines. This basically allows you to use the same Anthos control plane for your virtual machines. Uh, and I, I think they support two flavors. Uh, you can either use the cube one or you can actually connect your virtual machines running on vSphere to the Anthos control plane and and enforce like security policies through Anthos. So that was interesting. Uh, IBM had announcements around Spectrum Scale and Spectrum Protect Plus. Uh, Spectrum Scale, I think added S3 support uh, and Spectrum Protect Plus now officially supports Red Hat OpenShift. Uh, I think we saw that coming, but yeah. Uh, And then uh, like from a couple of startups, I think Acuity, uh, was a startup that came out of stealth uh, the week of KubeCon. Uh, again, these are the same people who worked, uh, uh, who built Argo, uh, the the continuous delivery framework. And once their original company was acquired by Intuit, and now Intuit obviously is a big player in the community around mm-hmm. continuous delivery. Now they are leaving Intuit and creating a, a new startup which provides enterprise support for uh, organizations that are looking to use Argo. So if you're in the Kubernetes app delivery space uh, looking for a vendor, they, they 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 just came out with a new version. Uh, Commodore introduced workflows. So uh, basically, if you have issues in your environment, you can use workflows as a tool for common troubleshooting tips and even some actions that you can take from the workflows tool. But again, that's still early access or, or beta version. Uh, we'll wait for GA and we'll let you know. But yeah, those were, I think, a couple of vendors that I wanted to highlight in addition to like the big ones at the, on the show floor.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Cool. I think
0: this has been a lot. Um, not not every every episode is like this, in case you're wondering. Um, you know, KubeCon is a special time for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, biggest event of the year for us in our world. So lots and lots to talk about. We barely scratched the surface Um, You know, we try to focus on uh, the data aspects and the security aspects today, uh, but there is so much to learn. Uh, We will put as many links as we can in the show notes about things we talked about, probably a couple that we missed, um, and uh, let you sort of read through these announcements and sort of community highlights yourself. Um, So I hope that was um, useful to everyone listening who wasn't at KubeCon or maybe wanted a recap when it came to uh, you know the data world that we live in um I think some of the some of the highlights for me were were really around that Kubernetes is really crossing the chasm right mm-hmm. um, and to your points there about that people are building real things, we have real problems, we need to secure these things um, and I think that's really validating for me so that's
2: going to be my like biggest takeaway. How about you? for me uh, again this might this is this has nothing to do with community i was just <laughs> happy to meet everybody at portworks like i joined during covid and i'm a remote employee so uh, meeting meeting my my skip level managers and like everybody on the team the sales team and the marketing team in person was i had a great time and i wish we can do more of these in person events and uh, one of those uh, will be cubeconomia so uh, I, I, I want to meet you there ryan <laughs>
0: Yes, I hope to be there, and I I, um, I just hope to meet you soon. I think we have a plan to meet up. Finally, it's it's kind of terrible that we haven't yet, <laughs> but it's the world we live in. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, plug for uh this episode. Please review the episode and/or other episodes. Um, you can send us a message through Anchor or review your uh through your podcast um tool and/or listening device. Um, next week. Uh, sorry, next two weeks, we will have a disaster recovery data management topic uh, with Michael Cade from Kasten.io. Um So for those interested in really learning more about the backup space, backup and recovery, disaster recovery space, definitely tune in to next week's
2: episode. Really excited about that one and to meet Michael. Awesome. And like before we close it out, I just want to thank all uh, all of our existing listeners. Like We really appreciate you spending 30 minutes, 40 minutes every couple of weeks and listening to us. And uh, even if we don't see any any reviews and stars on Apple Podcasts, uh, we are glad and happy with the comments that we receive on Slack and, and through emails or through Twitter. So we really appreciate everybody listening. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes Podcast.